0: Thank you, John. Thank you, um, music team, for leading us so beautifully. Good morning, family. My name is Hank. I'm one of the elders, and I'm going to, um, as John said, conclude the, the value series we've, we've been speaking on. Um, the value for lordship, submitting to the Lord Jesus. The value for evangelism, reaching out to lost people. The value for discipleship, uh, which is really the core of our church. This is how we build our church, is on discipleship groups. Then the value for leadership, and today we're going to speak on a very exciting topic the value for family. Woo! <laughs> you summon a we high five. Come on, you're either excited about this family or you're not. Okay, so it's one of the two. So we're going to talk about authentic church community. Um, Oh, and some people have got a lot of expectations in this church, in this family. No one will ever disappoint me. I'm going to have deep relationships and everybody's going to care for me. And they're going to love me and they're going to smell when I'm sick. And they're going to just come to my house and they will pray for me. And they're going to just always be around me, and I'm going to be so uh, filled with joy in this family. And I truly hope that that is your experience. But we can unpack and see what what it means when we talk about authentic church community or family, or the value for family. So I want to ask this question, if there's a significant life event that happens, Who are the people that you think about immediately? Let's say, for instance, um, 2020, you heard about the outbreak of COVID. And you didn't know what it was all about. You hear some people dying. Some countries are closing off. Things are changing in the world. And who are the people that you immediately think about? I remember we were driving back from uh, a uh, short-cut holiday... We had to come back due to this news, but on our way, we were hearing all the time on the, on the road about the COVID pandemic, and no one really had an idea what it was all about, and the first person we thought about was Urenti's mother, because she was staying alone, and we were concerned about that, and we wanted to come to safety, so we said, come stay with us for the next couple of weeks. Because in a, in a crisis moment, you don't really care about people working with you, or you know, some friends that you haven't been seeing or brying with, you know, for a couple of months. You're thinking about your family, am I right? And they can annoy you so much, and you can get so, so frustrated and upset with your family, but when there's a crisis, you think about your family, somehow. What about if you want to share a great life experience? Uh, for instance, uh, coming back from a, from, a let's say, a trip overseas, or coming back from a nice holiday, and you want to share your, oh, my brother... He can frustrate me because he is addicted to the holiday, to the Kruger uh, National Park. And every time they come back, we have to sit and watch the elephant and the lion. And the, we saw another lion and another leopard and another one and another one. And I'm like, yeah, sure, they're all the same one. It, you just, And I love the Kruger Park, but there's a point of saturation where I can't watch another, you know, one of those video clips. But... He wants to share it with someone. I remember how disappointed I was. I went to overseas uh, once, and then my family, um, I was one of the unique persons in the family that actually had the privilege, and then everybody got so excited. Oh, you must take a lot of pictures. And I'm like, okay, okay. And, I'm go- and I've got this thing. I'm going to keep the story together. I'm gonna- and I did. I took thousands of pictures. <laughs> they told me to do that. And I came back, and I'm ready with my PowerPoint, with my download of my... (laughs) And lo and behold, they they were not really much interested to listen to my story. Everybody sort of carried on while I was there, you know? What a disappointment. But they are the people that I wanted to share that experience with. I didn't bother about other people. I wanted to tell them why, because they're my family. I want to show you... My family. This is my family. These are the people that I really care the most, and I want to share my life with them. It's my beautiful wife, Urinti, and our cute little baby girl, Abigail. And all of this is a miracle. I've been single for many years in a desolate desolate, um, um, space of being alone, and struggled with family, was moving away from my family, was things there that, that bothered me that I tried to get myself away from, and yet you found yourself even in spiritual uh, climate in a, in a desert alone, and only God can do this. Only God can, yes, can do that. <laughs> you see, family is a place where we can, can have some of our greatest expectations meet. But it's also the place where we can experience some of our worst disappointments. Those are the people closest to us. They know how to press that buttons, don't they? They can bring the worst out of you. I remember my sister, when I, I started to learn to play the organ, and I was really into this new instrument. I was like a teenager. And my sister got home from school, and we, every day we had a fight. She had the radio on. And it blabbed all the time, Tina Turner. And I came back from primary school, so I was earlier than her. Then I switched it off, and then I would get on the organ. And I'm practicing. And she gets back. Who switched off my radio? <laughs> I mean, there was such a thing going on that we negotiated. I traded my bedside cupboard for half an hour on the organ. That was what that half an hour was worth to me. That's what family can do. They can bring the best out of you. Now, for us, for Abigail, when we expected her, I mean, this spiritual family has blessed us so much. Um, and then our family also surprised us with a baby shower. And, yo, it's been, that little girl has been spoiled with presents and gifts and blessings from everybody. Uh, even today, she got another blessing. Uh, it's just carrying on. And, but that same sister of mine that annoyed me so much took me completely by surprise. She gave me this this beautiful gift, and I want to open it. and I, first of all, I love it. I, I, I just started to sob, first of all. I love it because, first of all, it's leather. Side note. Yeah, if I can open it. I love it because it's leather. It's this cute little bag. And I thought, okay, what is this? This is so cute. I mean, it's a sh- baby shower. It's usually the mom and the, and the babies that get prezzies. But she made me a daddy's diaper bag. <laughs> How nice is that? You know? I'm ready for a life-threatening emergency. I can, I can, I can deal with it. And it was so sweet. But, you know, that wasn't really that brought me to tears. When I opened this, and I, I, I immediately recognized this. This was my father's. And I started to sob. I couldn't control myself. Because somehow she connected everything together for me. She, she, she just knew at that moment to give me something valuable that I needed on my journey of becoming a father. Now my father passed away. And that's part of my biggest disappointment at this stage. Is that he cannot. He never met Abigail. And she will never have met him on this earth. I will have to tell her about him. And I'm going to do, do my best to tell her about her opa. But that's as good as it will get. Thanks Cindy. But Abigail's family. She's got two grandmothers that's in love with her. She's got a grandfather, and she is dearly loved. Yes, we've got one of the grannies in the house today. And she she has got grandparents. And like many other families, she's got grandparents. She's got a mom and a dad. She's got uncles and aunties and cousins. And it's quite confusing because her cousins are already married, and they've got children. So to try to explain to her who's your aunt and who's your cousin is going to be quite a trick. Okay, But unlike many families, there's something different about Abigail's family. She doesn't just have this. She has got so much more. She's got what we would say spiritual family. She's got spiritual moms and spiritual dads all around her. And other people that, that all are family to her. And we are a testimony of that. We are surrounded by spiritual family. We experienced it as a couple, as a married couple. In the early years of our marriage, the first two and a half years was quite a bit of a disaster. And we lightly put it, at least that we have two memories of really considering divorce. Because it was so painful getting married. And then we experienced spiritual family. We had people into our, coming into our situation that spoke life when we got to a dead end that helped us navigate through that. That's where we benefited from family, but also on our journey to become parents. We struggled, as most of you know, we struggled to fall pregnant. We had, um, over time, two miscarriages, of which the second one happened on the day of my dad's funeral. So that was really hard for us to work through. And then there was a waiting period, and then we had to go for fertility treatment. And that's a roller coaster up and down. And you have people coming alongside to pray with you, to support you, to carry you, to, um, to, to also contribute towards that. We had two fertility treatments, IVFs, very expensive treatments that both failed. Then you enter in this deep bit of despair. And once again, we had people there that supported us, that prayed for us, that picked us up. And then God did this amazing miracle, and she's right at the back, our little girl, um, the answer to a prayer. But you see, the point is we can go on and on about our experience of family. Where did we get that from? It started by me making a decision, like John said, coming back to spiritual family, submitting to a spiritual family. But it's more than that. When we got married, we had to submit our marriage to the leaders around us to say, we are accountable to you. We had to allow people through connect groups into our private space of our lives to say, as a man, you men keep me accountable. Help me to grow as a woman. For Urinti, you to the women, you are we are accountable to you. To allow people in is not necessarily that easy. Am I right? It's, oh, we all want the nice relationships. We all want the friendship and the braai. but we don't necessarily want people to get into the uncomfortable part of your life. But when there's a crisis, we cry, where's the family? Where's the family? Who cares? They can only walk through an open door which you have opened. Otherwise, it's quite rude, don't you think? People just barge into your private space and they just want to pitch up. and You have to let them in. And we had to do that for us so that we can experience family. And now, we can be ministers of hope to other families. But it's not just something that happened in us, it's something that happened around us. It was what we received and what we experienced in spiritual family. So I want to start off with this statement. Have you ever heard the statement, families are the building blocks of society? Have you ever heard that statement? I want you to think about that statement. Do you think it is true... Do you think it is not true? I want you to turn to the person next to you. Just share your thought. Share your opinion. What do you think about that statement? So we're gonna see if that statement holds up today. I want us to turn to Matthew twelve. And we're gonna read only a few short verses. Matthew twelve is forty-six to forty-eight. And we're actually gonna look at Jesus and family. That's gonna be the thing that we're gonna look at today. To see, I mean, for me, if I wanna check something, I always go back to Jesus. That's sort of that's the cornerstone, is it not? So, of our faith. So, I want to see, okay, where does family fit into the story of Jesus? So, let's start by reading Matthew 12. While Jesus was talking to the crowd, okay, what was Jesus doing? He was preaching. He was ministering to the crowd. We would say, he's busy with what? What does it sound like? He's he's preaching to the crowd. What does it sound like? Ministry, church, eh? He's having a church service. I'm preaching to the crowd. We are sitting here. We say this is church. Think about this. Jesus are in his church, busy speaking to people, and then his mother and his brother stood outside. That should make you think. Wanting to speak to him. Someone told him. It's not like Jesus was not like, informed. Someone says, Hey, <clears throat> Hank, your mother's here. It's like, while he's preaching interruption 101 family has got that way of interrupting your schedule don't they eh? and then he says your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you he replied to him who is my mother who are my brothers what a strange way to respond to that would you think imagine you call me now and say hey your, your mom is standing on the outside and I say Who is my mother? That's what Jesus said. Hang on. This is what he said. Who is my mother? You see, what's going on here? Did Jesus not know who his mother is? Hey, Mary, Jesus, on Hanomikinus, or his brothers were, did he not realize that they are outside? Did he not care that they are outside? Um, Was Jesus maybe perhaps somehow alienated from his family or estranged from his family that They were really almost like foreigners or strangers to him. So what does it mean when Jesus says, who is my family? Have you thought about that statement before? On why Jesus would say something? I mean, here Jesus is busy establishing the kingdom of God. The Son of God came to earth, busy establishing the most important thing for the next 2,000 years at least. The kingdom of God and his immediate family are standing on the outside of the door. Why? Why would they not be in the front row? Why would Jesus not bother to get them first, to say, let me start with my family? So I thought maybe this has got something to do with what Jesus has said before, two chapters before, Matthew 10. Jesus made quite a shocking statement. He says, don't suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. Do you think Jesus came to bring peace to the earth? Maybe you are swapping around the first and the second coming of Christ. Only at the second coming of Christ will He come to restore peace to this earth. He says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword." And then He goes on in that context to speak about a mother and the daughter would have something there. And a father and a son and the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law. If you ever wonder where that feud is coming from, Okay. Jesus says, I come to bring a sword, and it's got to do with family. And he goes on and he says, anyone who loves his father and his mother more than me is not worthy of me. So what is Jesus then saying there? Does it mean he is against family? Seems like that, eh? If he brings a sword to the family, then it communicates to me, maybe Jesus is against family. What happened to the whole idea of families are the building blocks of society? Now Jesus building the kingdom seems to be leaving out the most important basic building block. Family. You can put that picture on. There's Jesus building the kingdom. Busy with his people. And then there's his mother and brother there at the back outside. The building block of society left outside. It's already hard to to keep families together, to keep marriages together. We, we saw in the Bible already the issue of marital unfaithfulness and divorce was already a boiling pot. So maybe the Pharisees who was always there when Jesus was on earth, maybe they, they heard the statement about, I'm bringing a sword to the family. Maybe they saw, oh, he doesn't really bother that his family is or standing outside. Maybe that they saw that maybe this man is not so much for family, if we can get him to say, if we can get the Son of God to say, it's okay, you can divorce for any reason. Imagine the liberty that it would bring. We can be a religious people, but we can marry who we want and we can divorce when we want to. We can just have this life that is easy for us and it fits us and it suits our flesh. And they came with a trick question to Jesus and they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and any, every reason? And they're waiting. Okay, now. He's going to say it. He's going to say, oh, I understand. It's hard enough You know, to be married to one woman. Surely you can divorce her. You can show the next picture. We see we see that image. Uh, that was another story, but of the adulterous woman that was brought to Jesus. Every time they brought these issues to Jesus to see what is he saying about family? Uh, what is he saying about marriage? And Jesus replied. And he says, Haven't you read that at the beginning, let's say the beginning is there, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so they no longer will be two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. The beginning. You see, when Jesus was asked to explain his position on family or marriage, he pointed to something. He pointed to the beginning. Let's have a look at the beginning. What is the beginning that Jesus was referring to? It's it's referring back to to God's original design. Everything on life, if you want to understand the mess that we are in, we have to always go back to the way that it started. Everything. If you understand something, you want to go back to the origin. Sometimes you struggle with the word. You go back to the origin of the word. Where does that word come from? Then somehow you understand it a bit better. Jesus says if you want to understand family, you need to go back to the origin. Where did it start? It started in, at the beginning. Where God has joined man and woman together. Don't you just love that picture with that nice blue and yellow parrot? I just like that parrot. It's a garden of Edeny. And this Adam and Eve, and I'm still not sure what she's carrying. Maybe it's a lion cup or something, but, you know, and I'm struggling to find an image of a multicultural Adam and Eve, because all the, all the what do you call this, uh, Kinder Bible stories, all those images are looking like that. But I don't think they've looked like that, to be honest. They, I think they had a bit of a darker shade on their skin, to be honest, my, in my version of the story at least. But this is the image that I got, the beginning. This idyllic picture, man, woman, brought together. Okay, isn't that our idyllic picture of marriage as well? I'm going to get married, I'm going to have this girl, she's going to be my wife, and I'm going to be the husband, and we're just going to have, ooh, it's going to be so great, the two of us together. And then sparks fly when you get together. It's not always that easy, hey? In the idealistic world, it's, it's this easy thing of two becoming one. Not necessarily the case. But what we see that Jesus is doing when he was asked the question to explain himself is just Jesus is explaining something. I am for marriage. I am for families. I'm not against it. So then what is Jesus saying? Let's first get to the beginning. What is this beginning? What's going on there? Genesis 1 we see God says, God decided, let us create man in our image. And God created man and and woman, male and female, and he brought them together. And he says, you are made in the image of God. And it's important that you get this part. It's not just the man and the wife, and there they go. It's the man and the wife, first of all, made into the image of God. It's that duplication or replication of the image of God. That's the most important thing that you need to know today. And then God said, let's put it together, and let's start a family And it will spread from here. That is the original intent. Two becoming one. But what two? Two what? Two godly people coming together. Amen? So that's what we see in Genesis. And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united. It's important that you don't leave your mom and your dad. You need to let go so that you can have a union with your wife. Now, even Malachi. Malachi is the last prophet in the Old Testament. So, for at least, I think, something like 4,000 years, this idea went on and on and on. Now, we see the prophet Malachi. So, when a prophet speaks, you, you need to know there's a problem. The prophet is addressing something that's not right. So, the prophet Malachi asked this question. Has the Lord not made them one? So, clearly, there's an issue about marriage. Am I right? It's already a question on the table. People are asking the question. And he says, in flesh and spirit, they are his. Do you see again? It's not just they are them. They are his. And then he says, and why one? Have you ever asked the question, why is it so important that the whole thing about two becoming one? Malachi asked the question. Surely the people asked the question, who cares if I divorce? Who cares if I break it up? Oh, it's just the two of us, two human beings. I'll find another woman and we will. No, he says there's a oneness that you need to understand. and You need to ask, why one? And thank God, Malachi also gave the answer. Otherwise, today we would still wonder, why one? He says, because God was seeking godly offspring. You can say those two words with me. Godly offspring offspring. That is why God said that. And that's why God says, I hate divorce, because you're tearing apart something that was meant to, to be glued together. Even Paul, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, is pointing back to the same beginning. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united with his wife, and they will. That is a popular verse that even today we use as marriage offices to do a, to do a wedding. We would quote that verse. That Paul was writing. What are we actually quoting? We are quoting Genesis, two in the beginning, where God says, "For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his and his wife." But you see, Malachi asking that question, why, why one, God wants a godly offspring. Even Jesus and Paul confirms the same idea of a godly offspring. That family was supposed to be the instrument. To bring godliness in the world. You see, God didn't just have an idea to fill the world with a bunch of people. That's not it. That's not it. God desired to fill the world with what? With godly people. That's very important. So surely we must see that in those 4,000 years of the Old Testament, already there was a crack in the wall. The plan seems like it's not working. Everybody's not playing their part. Godly offspring. It's a nice idea, but what do we see when we think about families? What did Malachi see? As a prophet, surely he saw marital unfaithfulness. In fact, he's addressing priests on the matter. He saw divorce. The divorce rate went up. So Malachi is addressing this. What did Jesus see in the New Testament times? I mean, he he had the the religious Jewish leader asking three questions about unfaithfulness and divorce. Why? Because they hoped he would open up a door for them to say, it's okay, you can do it. The compromise that was already in, in godly religious people was actually hoping for him to give permission for sin. To say, it's okay, you can sin, you can carry on, it doesn't matter. See, that's what Jesus saw at that time. What do we see today? We see dysfunctional families. We see unfaithfulness again rising up. If you just watch Hollywood, how that is promoted and it's pushed down your throat. Everybody is sleeping with everybody. Divorce rate is spiking. Neglect in families. Neglect of children. Abuse in families that's not been addressed. And maybe I'm not just speaking about us here today. I'm speaking about this world that we're living. Think about this world. And then on the other side, another way of dysfunction, you see the Disney World parents. Oh, I'm neglecting my child, but let me take you to Disney. Let me give you the most expensive whatever I can buy with money. And I'm going to make it right with money. The family that has got the Instagram family, that has got all these photo memories on Facebook. And everybody thinks that, wow, it's this happy family, but inside they're falling apart the keeping up with the Joneses, the trying to fit into a certain image. This is all forms of dysfunctional family. And surely, if we look around in the world today, I get alarmed and I get concerned about, do I still see godly offspring? If I think about the world population, if I think about the darkness, the evil that's rooted in the hearts of people on this earth, then where is the godly offspring? I ask myself, let's get back to Matthew 12. Jesus talks to the crowd. The mother and his brother is outside, wanting to speak to him. So from this text, what do we see? If I look at that little family standing at standing the outside, we have to think, was, were they left outside because of dysfunction? Was it because the brothers were beating the mom or abusing one another? Was it because of that? I see a functional family on the outside of that room. You see, uh, many scholars say that Joseph, the father of Jesus, died, passed away, and Jesus, as the older brother, became the head of the family. So he's now responsible for that family. So it's him, his mother, and his brothers. That's a typical Jewish community, a Jewish family, after the dad has passed away. Normal, functioning family. So they were not left outside because of dysfunction, necessarily. But somehow, they were disconnected from what God intended for them as a family. I want to refer to another example. I mean, because sometimes as church, we would say, oh yeah, all the dysfunctional people, all the people, that, yeah, the people with abuse in their families. And we see that as sinners. What about the Japanese family? There's this mom and this dad and these two beautiful little children in a nice, neat, Japanese, neat little home. They take off their shoes before they go into the home. Everything is neat and tidy. There's no abuse. There's no neglect. The children are taken care of. There's harmony and peace in that family. So where are they? When it comes to the kingdom of God. You see, that what we see in the mother and the brothers of Jesus was similar to that Japanese family. It's not how functional you are. It's whether you are connected to what God is doing. That little family is as disconnected as a dysfunctional family. And today, when you go back to your work, you work with people that seems like they've got everything together in their families, but they are still disconnected from God's kingdom. They're still standing outside. Don't just think it's the woman with the blue eye that's standing on the outside. Families are not just ideal when there's a mom and a dad and two happy little children, and then the rest are all the rejects on the outside. No. What about gay marriage? Two men deciding they want to become a husband and a wife, and they have two children. They can act as a functional family. They can say, but we are taking care of these children. But what about the kingdom of God? Where do they stand, inside or out? They don't fit into the godly design. So anybody can construct their own family and say, but we're a family. It doesn't necessarily mean you're part of God's family. You see, Mary and mother had to come to Jesus on the basis of faith in Christ. They had to come to the Father through Jesus as the Messiah. Can you imagine how difficult it was for his own brothers to accept him as the Messiah when they played together? Your, Your most difficult customers to convince your salvation is not the world out there. It's your own family. They don't believe it. They know the other version of you. And they hold you to it. Ah, but I know who you are, Karen. You're always like that. No, I've changed. No, you're like that. Okay? So can you imagine how difficult it must have been for them to say, this Jesus is more than just my brother. He's more than just my son. I have to respect something inside of him. If I want to come to the Father, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And for those of you who sit in anticipation, what happened to Mary and the brothers of Jesus? Did they make it or did they not? Just continue this gospel story. And by the end, by the time of the resurrection and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we start to notice Mary inside. We start to notice the brothers of Jesus inside. I mean, on the way to the crucifixion, the brothers were still in this whole thing about hey, if you are the Son of God, don't go in secret. Go show yourself to the world. You know, so they were still mocking him on their way. They were still not quite on the same page. But after the resurrection, something must have changed. So thank God today, don't worry about Mary and the brothers of Jesus. They made it. (laughs) That's not the point. So let's see how Jesus responded. Okay, now someone says, your mom is outside. And he says, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? And then Jesus went on. He didn't leave it hanging Jesus did something significant. He pointed to his disciples. He says, this is my mother. This is my brothers. This is my mother. This is my brothers. I want to clarify something here. Whoever does the will of the Father, they are my mother and my brothers. What does this mean? What is Jesus saying? He says, those who are disciples, they are family. We started this whole sermon with this Lekka song. We are family. You have to ask yourselves, am I a disciple of Jesus? (laughs) Okay. Otherwise, you can't say we are family. Maybe you've got your own little family, but that's not it. Are you standing outside or in? Those who are disciples are standing inside. They are included in God's plan. But is this now an abandonment of natural family? Is Jesus saying, well, I forget them? No, 1 Timothy 5 goes further where he puts the standard here. He says, for us as believers, he says, for anyone who does not provide for his relatives, especially his immediate family, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So he cannot ever go and say, well, I don't care about them anymore. I'm going to leave them behind. Who cares about my family? You see the tension in the kingdom. They don't want to be part of it, but yet I have to provide for them. It's my responsibility because God cares for family. But he just wants to put family in the right context. Can you see it? It's natural family within spiritual family. That's the the definition Yeah. So was Jesus defining a new definition of family? No. He's clarifying the definition of family. Jesus is defining spiritual family. We use that word quite a lot. We say we are spiritual family. What does it mean? We're not just a bunch of people that's grouped together. Random people coming together. It's not just a bunch of natural families coming together. That's a social club. You can have that anywhere else. Okay? Just have kids and go to school and go to school activities. You're going to be part of a mama groupie. Okay? It's going to happen. It's not just another sub grouping of society. Another sector of society. It's not that. Jesus, you have to understand here, yeah, is the second Adam. The Bible describes Jesus as the second Adam. So what's the first Adam? first Adam was the first human being on earth. The first created being. And he got a DNA from God. Why? Because he was created in God's image. And he was supposed to carry that on. And we saw how sin came in and it all went a big mess. Now, here comes the second Adam. A second opportunity has been given to us. Thank the Lord. God didn't leave us in that mess. He sends the second Adam, the second DNA carrier. And he says, okay, let me define for you what this family looks like. It's those who follow me, my disciples. Those who believe in me, they are in this family. Those with the same spiritual DNA. Do you have the same spiritual DNA as Jesus? If you don't, if you don't know if you have it, you are in trouble sitting in this church. You should know by now you've got the DNA of Christ. The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. We think like him. He's changed our hearts. How do we get that? It's through being born again. We are birthed into this family. It's a new birth that takes place in us. It's not just a change of theology or a change of religion or a change of my thinking and a change of all these things. It comes by me accepting the Lord Jesus and then something is birthed inside of me. It's natural family submitted to the spiritual family. That is an idea of godly offspring. But I want to use another example from the Bible, if I may, to explain how this thing, our family fits into this thing. And I thought this is quite beautiful. I want to... Just quickly refer to the story of Noah. Now, Noah, what? who is Noah? Noah was the person when God brought the flood to the earth. God says, I'm choosing, I'm calling Noah to start a new beginning on earth. Can you imagine the pressure on that guy? That who he had to be at that moment. He had to have all the right values, all the right thinking. He had to become this mature person that, contains everything that's important because God says you're going to start the new population on earth and the, the world is going to look like you, Noah. That's what it meant. You're going to start everything. And, and So you need to make sure when I get into that boat, Noah, I need to have what's important. I need to have what's important to build this new generation. Dad, <laughs> help me. Okay, Adam, okay, I don't know Adam. How do I get back to the DNA of Adam? How do I get that story? And I want to share this with you quickly. Imagine you are Noah for a moment, and you are called to go into that ark and to start everything anew. I mean, look at, look at this world today. Sometimes I just pray, God, can you just send another flood and just start again? <laughs> okay, so let's say God does it. And he says, John and Cindy, come on, you're going to start it for me. The rest wiped away, but you're going to remain. Okay, so you are Noah. You've got that pressure on you. This is the calling. And then um, you go to your dad, because you need input from someone, eh? And he says, your dad says to you, don't worry. I've known Adam personally. Have you noticed that in the Bible? I've had dinners with Adam. I sat around the same campfire. I want you to imagine this campfire at night. And... Noah wasn't there yet, but his, his father Lamech was like, um, maybe he's still a child, and he's like speaking to his dad, his dad's name was um, Methuselah, the oldest guy in the Bible, and he would say to Methuselah, dad, why do we wear these clothes? Ah, let me explain to you, we sinned, and then we, we have made our own clothes, and then God says, Now I'll make you proper clothes, but let's check again, Adam, let's speak to Grand, grand, granddad. Adam, Adam is sitting on the other side of the campfire. Yes. A bit old by now. Adam, why do we wear these clothes? Oh, let me tell you again. You see, if you follow the genealogy, whoever don't like genealogies in the Bible, it's one of the most interesting things. If you, if you study that, you will see from Adam to Lamech, if you, if you put the timelines together, then all of those people before Noah has known Adam and Eve personally. All those grandparents sat around the same campfire at night. Can you imagine how accurate is the Bible story, the DNA? When it was passed on from Lamech to Noah, he said to him, now you go, boy. You've got it all. They've been rehearsing that, that creation story encounters with God, the holiness of God, how God responds to sin, how God restored them from their sin and the brokenness, the story of don't listen to the serpent. They had the most important DNA contained in a beautiful way for Noah to make a new beginning. We see a beautiful image here of the groundedness of natural family that slots into a spiritual family. That's connected with God's spiritual purposes. You see, when Noah was put into the ark, God says, you and your wife and your children. Immediately, God placed the value on family again. God says, I'm using the family as the vehicle. Noah, it's not just you. It's not just about the individuals. It's you and your family. Get your wife on the same page. Get your three sons on the same page. Noah, your dad has done an amazing job. Your grandparents, your ancestors have done an amazing job. Noah, you now you better make sure your three sons know what they're doing when you get on that on that fertile ground. This is for me a beautiful picture of godly offspring. So, what is God's idea about family then? God is a relational God. He started off the whole thing saying, Let us create man. In our image. Let's bring man into our relationship. God is a family God. Through the whole Bible you will see families, 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 families. God cares about family. God uses the family. God desires for us to be in family. But most specifically, He desires for us to be in His family. There's a scripture that says that it's the, the God brings an orphan and places him in a family. So even if you've been abandoned, even if you are alone or single, it doesn't matter. (coughs) I'm sorry. It's God who places you in a family. That's why spiritual family can be so restorative. You might have a broken, dysfunctional, natural family, but you can have some of that as an experience in spiritual family. But then you need to become part of that family. God desires for our natural families to be used as an instrument by being submitted to the lordship of Jesus and to the spiritual family did you know marriages are never meant to stand in isolation it's private it's sacred but it's not meant to be in isolation no marriage can can be sustained by itself god desires for us to be connected god desires to have a godly offspring so what did Jesus really do when Jesus started to build this new kingdom of God? He had a message to his own family. He says, "I would love to, for you to be part of this." But you're going to have to submit to God's plan. because we've got this is the mission that we're on. For us as a church, we are on a mission. We need to save this broken world. Joining this church is not so that you can have a nice, goosebumpy lack of feeling. It's not what it's about. Yes. We're on a mission, and we need to be on the same page. Jesus clarifies what family means. And he says, basically, that we can only experience family when we have the same spiritual DNA. Those who do the will of the Father, they are family. So that comes down to decision. Just like Mary and the brothers had to make a decision about Jesus. We have to make a decision about Jesus. Do we accept him as our Lord? No one can come to the Father apart from him. That's being born again. Secondly, do you accept this family? Are you adopting this family as your own? Because God can put you in a family and you kick against it every day. Like an adopted child. Or can you embrace your family? And then Jesus calls us a response. He calls us to put the value of family in the right way. He calls us to the Father. He calls us to be born again into a new identity. He calls us into a spiritual family. He calls us to become spiritual DNA carriers. The seed of God put inside of you. He called us to build a kingdom through His family. Let's pray. I want to give an opportunity, first of all, for people that you've been coming to church, but somehow you haven't experienced family because you haven't made that decision yet. So the decision is twofold. First of all, some of you have not yet accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and therefore you cannot experience any spiritual thing at all. (coughs) But secondly, also, making a decision to embrace this family. So I want to give you an opportunity. If, if you know for sure that you've heard about Jesus, you've, coming, you've been coming to church, you've been part of the crowd, but you have not yet made the decision to submit to Jesus, and you want to make use of that opportunity, will not you just raise your hand and then we can pray together. If you are here and you know that you haven't made that decision that to settle in your heart that this is your family. And today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's saying to you, this is your family. And you want to make that decision, will you just please raise your hand? Thank you. So Father, I want to pray for those that raise their hands in terms of accepting you and accepting this family of yours. And I pray for this miracle to take place, Lord, that you will put them in family, that you will show them their place, Lord, that you will welcome them, Lord Jesus, and that they will find that connection with the Father and with brothers and with sisters, Lord, and that, that you will allow them to experience the fullness of what you meant with family in Jesus' name. I also want to give an opportunity you 've been part of church, but you realize today that the way you live or the idea that you have about your own natural family is somehow disconnected from God's plan and you want to realign your family back into God's plan and purpose. Won't you raise your hand and then we can pray? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It takes humility to acknowledge. Is a disalignment, disalignment. It's a moment of grace. I'm going to pray for you. Father, I pray for all these people that raise their hands now, Lord. You know what's going on in their families. You know the story. You know the reason why that family unit is outside of your kingdom, why it's not properly aligned, Lord. But today, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll bring it together. I pray, Lord, that you will come and help. Every person that raised their hands, Lord, to bring their family into your calling, into your spiritual family. And that you'll speak to them even now about their calling, like you spoke to Noah. That you'll show them how their family fits into what you want to do in this dark time. I pray for us as a church, Lord, we are your family. And I pray even today that you will speak to us, Holy Spirit, and that you will bring a deeper conviction about what you are calling us as a spiritual family for the time that we call to live. And that we will actively build your kingdom, establish your kingdom with boldness, reaching out, evangelizing, disciples, discipling people, raising leaders, but bring people into our family. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, everybody.